Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Steve Jagger, is an entrepreneur, author, and a speaker. He started his entrepreneurial journey back in 2000 when he and longtime business partner Mike Stevenson set up Combustion, followed by Ubertor, Realtor Software, and then in 2012, they headed to the Philippines and set up OutsourcingThings.com to provide virtual assistance to real estate professionals, which then grew to employ more than 150 people. It was then that he discovered a need for HR and payroll software for the Philippines and Singapore, and they answered that call by setting up a company called Payroll Hero, which is focused on time, attendance, scheduling, HR, and payroll. Now, after living in Manila and Singapore for four years with his wife and children, Steve returned back to Vancouver to launch Instant Messaging Real Estate Corp to provide artificial intelligence services to the real estate industry and Addy to eradicate barriers to home ownership for everyone. Today, Steve and his partner Mike sit at the helm of AddyInvest.com, a technology company that has opened the door and provided the opportunity for everyday people to invest in quality real estate deals for as little as a dollar. We have a lot of ground to cover in this show, so let's get started. Steve Jagger, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Great to have you on the show. It's taken us a while to coordinate this. You're a busy man. <laughs> Sorry about that. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, though. That's uh, entrepreneur extraordinaire, and uh, I want to get into it. You've got a 
pretty strong history of uh, the entrepreneurial spirit. The entrepreneurial spirit is strong within this one. Something along that line. I, I don't know what that was, a weak attempt at some Star Wars thing. Yoda. Yoda. Yoda or somebody. Anyway, so uh, Steve, you know, uh, we're going to work backwards through all that because you've got some great insights and lessons to share and stories. Um, but give us an update when people are saying to Steve, these days, what do you do? What's your answer to that question? Yeah, very much focused in uh, Addy World. So we've got uh, a real estate investment platform that enables everyone to invest in real estate for as little as a dollar. That is more than 100% of my time. Um, there's lots going on um, as we continue to grow that uh, the, the business. But yeah, that's essentially what 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 keeps me busy these days for uh, for work. So you know when it. Uh... You know, let's let's talk about Addy because I'm a big fan of Addy. It's a really cool platform. It's I think the innovation of it is just short of uh, no, it's not even short of it, it's epic. It's really really cool. And I know you guys are working your ass off to, uh, but you're doing some really great things. So give our listeners some insights into what the heck Addy is and the fact that you can invest in real estate for as little as a dollar. I mean, that's pretty darn interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's basically what we're trying to do is enable Canadians to be able to participate in the real estate market. Specifically for us, we're focused on institutional commercial grade real estate. We want to enable them to be able to invest, you know, like the wealthy do. You know, generally these types of opportunities are reserved for the wealthy. You know, people that have a whole bunch of money and can buy an apartment complex or buy a commercial, you know, commercial building or an industrial business park or whatever it is. Um, Your average individual sort of a regular Canadian just doesn't have the ability to participate kind of because of two big reasons. One is the capital requirements are very, very high normally. And two, even if you've got the money, you know, the deal flow is, is another Part of the problem, just even knowing that these properties are trading, many of them are bought and sold off market. And if you're not in the know, you you wouldn't even know to to be able to try and participate. And so what we do at Addy is just we've built a software platform. We're a technology business that um, enables people to participate in these opportunities for a dollar amount that is prudent to them. And so our you know our average investor right now into a property is $350 into an individual property. And so we've enabled thousands of Canadians to be able to you know, make these make these investments and, and own a piece of, uh, like we've got a Starbucks building out in Chilliwack where Starbucks Canada is the tenant. Or we've got uh, uh, an RV resort a couple hours outside of Toronto. Or we've got two hotels, two different hotels in, in Montreal. And so what we're, yeah, what we're enabling people to do is, is to make make an investment and sort of join that ownership society and be able to participate in this, in this asset class. And particularly in, you know, real estate, given what, where Canada is at, where the world's at really. And I mean, it goes through its ups and downs, but this is, you know, back to your uh, point about having Canadians participate in investing in real estate. And aside from even having the capital available, you know, you mentioned capital and you mad, you mentioned deal flow, but there's another aspect to that. And that getting into this commercial light industrial multifamily world takes some expertise. It takes some understanding of diligence. It takes some real understanding of deal structure. And so this is a way to get in and really kind of, 
mitigate your risk in a great way because you guys and your team, your expertise is in exactly all of those things. So you're able to bring great deals to the table, give people the opportunity. And to your point, you've given them the platform to actually do that. And it doesn't move like a stock market. So in other words, you know, somebody might go on, I don't know, I, I trade or TD, whatever, and buy a stock. And then you're really at the effect of the ups and downs of what's happening in the stock market. This is different than that. This is investing in real estate. So it doesn't move as much. What's give me a little bit about ROI and length of time. How do you how do you explain that to somebody? Yeah. So that's it's a good point. So real estate is like they say, I don't know, the get rich slow program, it's a, a generally a buy and, and hold. It's much more stable generally than yeah, the stock market or crypto or whatever. And and yeah, so our average, when someone makes an investment into a property, they get to review the details of the opportunity. They get to read the offering memorandum, see some of the due diligence, and then they can make an investment decision for themselves. We cap our regular investors to a $1,500 investment um, limit. But I, like I said, the average is about $350 per property. But yeah, the, we've done 26 properties on the platform so far. The average term or length is about 4.7 years. But so some of them are projected to be a two-year hold. Some of them are projected to be a 10-year hold. It really depends on the property and what the general partner's plan is for that property. And then people can make an investment decision if they like the looks of it, you know, where the building is, who the GP is, if they like the, you know, the, the offering memorandum and they're happy with all those details and they're happy with the projections and the term or the projected term, they can uh, choose to make an investment. So when you're talking about 1500 at a max, is that in, in any given property or is that 1500 overall with Addy? What's the kind of the, what's the framework for that $1,500? Yeah. So we cap people at $1,500 per, per property. Got it. And then, like I said, it doesn't, it, it's not really that much of a, of a, of an issue because our average investor is much, much lower than that, that $3, $350 per property. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea for us is we just want to spread the opportunity around to as many Canadians as possible. So the, the goal is to just enable everybody to participate, not just a handful of people. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I love that concept, but I, I want to go into and give people some scope of possibilities. And, and I, you know, you and I have talked on many occasions, but never gotten into some of the minutia of it. And I know I want to also talk to you about uh, some of the sophisticated investor kind of world that you also uh, have some opportunities uh, accredited investor. Let me ask you this question though. Let's say grandma gives, uh, you know, 17 year old son, 19 year old grandson, granddaughter, whatever, grandchild, uh, 10 grand says, you know something, uh, I want to enjoy, you know, giving you money today because you know something when I die, I'm not going to, so here's 10 grand, whatever the story is behind it. So they look at Addy and they go, you know something, gosh, there's two, three projects here. There's five projects here that I would be interested. I like the concept overall. So I'm going to take that 10 grand and however it works out, I got 10 grand invested with different projects of what Addy has on the table, if that was possible. Okay. What should that investor expect on that 10 grand? Is it going to you know, get released? Are you going to sell that building in two years? You're going to, two years, you're going to turn it over to your point. Some you're going to be a longer term buy and hold. How would somebody look at that and say, well, I can take that 10 grand and make it 12 grand or make it 20 grand? You know, well, how do we look at that? 
Yeah, so the a couple of things. One is we don't give or can't give any investment advice to anybody. So it's always um, always suggested that they go and get investment advice, especially in that scenario that you just gave. If someone's been, you know, has uh, some money that they're looking to invest, definitely go get professional advice. Uh-huh. But if you were to look at that and and sort of in the regular lens of of Addy, that ten thousand dollars breaks down at, at three hundred and fifty. Uh, what is it? Uh, 28 properties. So they'd be able to make, if they were sticking around our average, around 28 different investments into 28 different opportunities. And so um, each one of them will be different. Each property kind of stands on its own. So like our Chilliwack Starbucks was projected at a five-year hold and I think a 5% IRR. Mm-hmm. And where the Montreal Hotel, one of them was a two-year projected timeline, and I can't remember what the IR was. It was you know, eight or ten percent. Right. So each each one is different. So it would really depend on how that person divided up their money. Did they did they put a little bit more into this one because they live in that town or they like that type of property, or did they put a little less in this one because they were didn't like it as much? That's kind of the idea is that people can make their make their own decisions and uh, and pick and choose the properties that they like. So there's we've we've done these 26 properties. We've not exited one yet. The first one to exit is, is happening this month. Actually, it's the Lex building downtown Vancouver it was a 45 unit, uh, basically a, a big mixed use building, 45 apartments upstairs and two commercial units downstairs on the main floor but the neat thing about it it was running as an apartment building even though they were technically all stratified condos and so when we um, made that property available to our community people invested with the seeing the projections and the offering memorandum around a five-year projected hold and again about a five percent irr but it's turned out to be significantly quicker people are going to be out in 10 to 11 months with a, a, a bit of a higher return because the general partner decided to sell off all of the individual condos as individual units. Um, wow. Okay. And now the, now, that's cool. Yeah. Now the building. Yeah. And so while that, while that's great for the people that invested in that, their returns should be higher than what the, the projections were. The opposite is also true. You could invest in a property that's projected five years and a you know little thing called a global pandemic happens <laughs> and plans change. And so things can go longer than expected or lower projector, lower returns than the projections because, you know, things, things happen, right. You know, COVID COVID happened. It changed a lot of plans for a lot of property owners, right. Think of like shopping malls, restaurant tenants, all that kind of stuff really changed where for the, for the bad, for many of them. And then on the other side of it, we saw with our Starbucks in Chilliwack, because it had a drive-through, even though you couldn't go into the store to buy to buy coffee, because it had a drive-through, it was open the whole time through COVID. So those like small, but you know, a Starbucks in a in a shopping mall had to be closed. And if you were back it up a few years, most people didn't have any concept of what a global pandemic is and what does it do in today's society and how does it change things. Um, so it was a new experience for the vast majority, I think, of people just to see how it goes. So the, I guess the point is that there's there's the projections that go into that offering memorandum. People can should you know read that offering memorandum, read the due diligence, and then make their decision. But with understanding that, yeah, things can change. Sometimes like the Lex for the better, or sometimes it can go uh, for, for the, you know, the opposite of that for the worst. Yeah, got it. Got the concept, understand it. Platform really gives up people up the opportunity to... Uh, put money to work in the real estate game, own a little piece of real estate 
and, uh, you know, be able to participate and watch it grow. I mean, you've shared stories with, you know, people that invested in that Starbucks that you talk about in Chilliwack and kids are going there to grab a coffee or mom's taking their kids through the drive-thru and, and there's a drive-thru and there's a, a certain uh, kind of coolness about, you know, knowing that you own a little bit of that building that you're doing business with. And I think that's kind of cool. But you know, I know you and and your partner Mike have got Mike Stevenson have got a a real kind of vision for Addy, and you know you come to you come at it from a real kind of cool place. Not only what you see is your vision and your mission, but also how your team operates. Give us a little bit of background of why did Addy come to be? Did you know like why Addy? Why this model? How did this evolution uh, come to fruition? Yeah, so I can. There's there's the the long story, but I can uh, give you sort of the 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 Cole's notes. But essentially, Mike and I have been business partners for 22 years. Um, we've been working together, starting different companies. We've spent time living in the Philippines, living in Singapore. We've had a little bit of success, and personally, been buying real estate for the last 22 years. So I've been doing my thing with my you know wife and. He's been doing his thing and sort of just doing our own, you know, investments and having uh, investment properties. And about we moved back from Singapore in 2016, I think, uh, late 2016. A couple opportunities had come Mike's way actually around becoming a, you know, making an investment behind a real estate developer in Vancouver, where the the developer was going to buy three houses on Oak Street and in Vancouver and basically rip them down and build, I think it was 28 townhouses. And um, the opportunity was presented to Mike and the, the, the developer was doing what many of the developers do is raising raising money from limited partners to be able to fund the fund the development. And so Mike had seen the opportunity and liked the look of it. And the developer said, great, if you want to invest, you can. The minimum check is a million dollars to participate. And Mike was like, oh, well, that's a bit, a bit steep. Can I set up a company and put a few of my friends together into that and, and come up with a million dollars that way? And the developer said, sure, that's fine. But I only want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to a bunch of people. I don't want a bunch of investors. I just, I like, I want this. Is why there's minimum? I want to deal with one person for that for that million dollars. And so Mike said, "Yeah, no problem." So he texted me and a few other people and said, "Hey, are you interested in this thing?" Shared the details. I went through all the due diligence and the, the details with my wife and said, "Yeah, like we're interested in doing this." So I participated in it, and a couple other people participated in it put that money into that corporation, the corporation made the investment. And why that matters is one of the, uh, one of our colleagues at, um, at one of our, our old company wanted to participate and he wanted to put in $10,000 to, you know, to participate in this $1 million limited partnership slice. Mike, unfortunately had said the minimum investment to participate was $50,000. And so the, the, the developer or the general partner said minimum was a million dollars. And Mike said to his you know, friends and family that were interested, minimum was $50,000. And this employee wanted to put in $10,000. And so unfortunately for him, the answer was no. And he didn't take it lying down. Like he just, he got mad about it. And he's like, what's the, why? Like, why is there a minimum? Why can't I participate? Like I've got my money sitting in my Canadian bank account in a, you know, high interest savings making 0.001 or whatever it is. And you guys are out here, you know, investing in this stuff that is, has a potential to, to return more, much more like, it's just not fair. So because I don't have enough money to participate, I can't participate to make me more money. And it's like this, it's like, I don't understand. It's like a circle. I just, I can't get in 
is only for wealthy people. And the answer, obviously, as I think people know, is like, well, there's costs involved. Like if manual, you're signing legal documents, lawyers are touching it. Like there's just, there's costs to bring on each investor. And that's why these minimums exist is there's cost to manage an investor base. There's cost to do investor relations. There's cost to answer questions. There's cost for the wire to be received, to be sent. There's just costs all, all over the place. And that initial conversation with that employee is really the sort of the genesis of, of what Addy started out to be. It was like, maybe there was a way for us to build a technology to eliminate a lot of those costs, to enable smaller investors to be able to participate in these opportunities that are generally reserved for the wealthy. And so we set out to, to kind of prove that. And that, that initial conversation with that employee is literally kind of what spurred this, this idea. And so in 2018, we wanted to kind of prove the concept and prove that it would work or that people were even interested in this. And so we, um, we bought a property in on the east side of Vancouver and we put it onto the very sort of early version of our software and put it out to Canadians and said, hey, here's this opportunity, read the offering memorandum and make, you know, make an investment decision. And what we were trying to figure out is, does anybody even want to do this? Do random Canadians that don't know us want to participate in the ownership of an individual property for a small dollar amount and is like, is there even a demand for this? Is, is this a thing or are we just totally off base and this is not a thing? And it turns out it's a, it's a thing. There's, you know, I think we have 305 investors in that initial proof of concept property that came from all over the place, choosing to participate and own a small slice of a specific address, a specific property. And so we took that as like, okay, we're onto something here. And then we took all of 2019 and a good chunk of 2020 building out the, the software, the team, the board of directors, the business plan, like how's this going to work? And then relaunched in August of 2020 with that Chilliwack Starbucks was property number two. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, so do you consider, you now what do you consider yourself? Do you consider yourself a technology company? Do you consider yourself a technology or a, a real estate company? Like when you look at and say, well, how do I define Addy? What is it? I mean, are you a software developer? What is it for you guys? Yeah, we're very much a technology company. So the company is Addy Technology Corp. Is you know, with the technology is what we're building and what we're focused on is what enables us to do this. And what it's what enables us to take investors for as little as a dollar. It's the automation and streamlining of that whole process from you know creating an account on the system, connecting your bank account, moving money, reading due diligence signing legal documents all through the platform itself. That's very much the, the, the business is, is, the, is the technology is what allows us to, to do it at scale like this. So then you have what, a real estate team that goes out and finds deals or who's going out and actually finding the deals and saying, let's bring this to uh, the platform. Let's bring this to investors and because uh, this makes sense. Who's, who's doing that diligence and working through that process, Steve? Yeah, we've got a real estate acquisitions team and the acquisitions team reviews opportunities that comes our way from a high level. Essentially, what they're doing is they're looking at who the general partner is, trying to understand who the GP is, what they're all about, what's their track record. And then they look at the property itself and pull all that information into our system, review it. And then it goes into the platform so that our community can review the opportunity. There's sort of the, 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 the product from us is that that offering memorandum document is what everybody can read. That's a summary of the deal, summary of the risks, so that the community can read that document, understand what's going on, look at some of the due diligence, and then make their, um, 
make their investment decision. That's, that's how that piece works. What we're finding is we call ourselves differentiated capital in that, you know, these lots of these real estate, these general partners, they can find money. There's wealthy people out there that cut these checks all day long. And they and they're, you know, million million dollar minimums or two point five million dollar minimums or five million dollar minimums. There's people that can just cut those checks and they can do it every single month if they had to or wanted to. But what we're finding is these general partners are coming our way because they're interested in our differentiated capital. And what we mean by that is like we've got a developer as an example, constantly developers are constantly losing employees to, you know, the developer across the street who might pay a little bit more for a carpenter to to you know hammer nails on their their building to move it faster and slows the other one down. And there's just, they're constantly trying to find ways to maintain and, and keep their employees. And what we find is these, these general partners and developers are coming to us saying like, I, I don't need your money. I think this would be an interesting way for me to enable my employees to have skin in the game of the building that they're building. And they can be financially a part of it, just like the, the wealthy investors are, right? When a dense uh, a building is done and they've densified the neighborhood or whatever they're doing, Normally, it's the developer and the wealthy LP investors make the money. And what we're what we enable them to do is we enable the community to be able to participate, the employees of the developer to be able to to to, to participate, the neighbors in the neighborhood to be able to participate. So there's all these extra benefits that come with enabling our community to participate more than just the money itself. It really it really brings a whole different aspect. It's very unique to to Addy. Like we see it with our Chilliwack Starbucks. There's 833 investors in that property. We know people are driving by other Starbucks to go to you know, their Starbucks. And they take selfies in the drive-thru and they send them to us all the time. And they just, they, they love it. And so we know we drive economic benefit to some of the commercial tenants. Um, like our Montreal hotels, the, the hotel general partner thinks, you know, having a thousand investors in his Montreal hotel, if you're ever going to Montreal, why wouldn't you try and stay in your hotel? Or if your friends and family were going to Montreal, wouldn't you tell them that, hey, you should check out my hotel? And that is a, a very unique benefit to having a thousand or two thousand micro, you know, micro investors on, on, the, on the ownership side of that specific building. You've got all these people out there working to ensure that it's successful and that it's, it's got customers. And that's a very unique benefit to us more than just one rich person cutting that one check for $5 million or $2 million, whatever the number is. Yeah, I love it. And uh, so tell me a little bit, let's, let's go back a little bit. You know, you talked about you and Mike, your business partner uh, in Singapore and, you know, 22 years where where did you kind of start your entrepreneurial journey, Steve? And then how did you and Steve happen to uh, come across each other? Or how did you, you were just friends out of what, university? What was that? What's a little bit about that? And what was your background? Sure, yeah. Um, Mike and I went to high school together. He's a couple of years ahead of me, graduated with my older brother from the same high school. But we lived in the same neighborhood. You know, I'd be walking to school and he would be doing the same. Like we, we were just kind of always around each other in um, in high school. And so that's where we had originally met. And then after high school, we dabbled in a couple sort of early jobs together and ended up starting our first company in 20, uh, sorry, in 2000, June of 2000. Um, we set up our first company together. And yeah, we've been essentially working together ever since. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a fun, it's a fun go around. I know there's not a lot of business partnerships out there that go this long or marriages go this long. <laughs> um, but, 
but yeah, so Mike and I have been been working together on uh, a few different a few different pr- you know projects over the years, and it's like each 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 kind of business led to the next a little bit where you could you know we could see certain ideas or an idea would pop up because of a problem we're having with something in the other business and so that's kind of how we've we've moved around we started in 2000 and we had a web hosting company built a web hosting business focusing on you know uh, small businesses that want to host their website and it sounds a little nuts now because it's very easy i guess for people but back in 2000 it wasn't very easy it was no, very no. difficult yeah and if you didn't know what you were doing, which most people didn't, if you owned a bakery or a single restaurant or a nail salon, how to set up a website and do all that was just not, it's not, it wasn't easy. And so we we sort of focused in on that market of helping sort of non-tech entrepreneurs or businesses get their website up running and going on the platform. That led us to realtors. We said we had a bunch of realtors on our web hosting. And we noticed that the realtors would fax, they'd get a new property for sale and they would fax the... Um, the feature sheet to some random web designer and the web designer would take the facts and update the website. And we thought, huh, maybe there's a way for us to build a little software tool that would let the realtor update the website themselves. And again, it sounds really weird explaining this stuff today, but back then that's you were, they were faxing people. And so we built a little tool that let the realtor manage the listings themselves. And then that became what is, what is now UberTor. Um, and so we built this software company called UberTor that powered residential uh, commercial realtor websites. And it gave the, the realtor the power to write a blog, manage the listings, load videos, do all that kind of stuff. But again, this is in the early days. We started that company in 2003. Does, is it still there? Does it, are you still operating today, that business? That business is still operating. We sold it in 2013. Yep. Um, but yes, it very much still operates today. And many of the original team is still there. That's that's so fascinating. So there's so many points and things that I want to kind of dig into there. But take me back a little bit because I'm always interested about, you know, the entrepreneurial journey. But in your case, I mean, first off, you guys kind of seem to embrace technology at some level. I get web design is not necessarily technology like we talk about technology today. But back then, that was really kind of about technology. And and so why was it that or how is it that you and Mike found yourself in that particular kind of level of, or that that area of expertise, if you will? How did you both get interested in it? Were you in school looking at, you know, like, so I had the opportunity, like many, you know, you look at what the internet was. I'm old enough to say, you know, you, you know, I, I, I learned what, like email didn't exist. And then all of a sudden it existed and we had to learn about email, but I saw it as a, some, a an early adopter in using it, but not actually turning it into some kind of a, a business or, you know, a, opportunity to, you know, make money from it. So you guys were looking at what was happening back then and saying, Hey, we can, let's turn this into a business. What, what, why was that? How did that kind of come to be? Um, yeah. So like Mike is like my tech enabled friend is the way to think about it. So back in, back in the day, you'd have some question about technology or how something works. Like the, the go-to person would be like, Hey Mike, (laughs) how does this work? Or like, why do I need this? Or what's happening here? And so I graduated high school. I went to the BCIT Venture Program, which um, I think it still exists. It was like a three-month program for like start coming with a business idea and come out the other end with a business plan. And I had this idea that I wanted to sell or start advertising on the inside of taxi cabs was the one. And I needed a website. 
And I went to my tech-enabled friend and I said, hey, Mike, I'm trying to start this company to do this. I need a website. Can you help me with that? And he said, yeah, I can build you a website. You just go find yourself the web host and we'll put it there. And I was like, great. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> what, are you talking, what are you talking about? And he literally had to come over to my house and he drew on like a whiteboard, like the cloud of like, here's the internet. <laughs> like, here's here's your computer and this is the web host and this is how this connects to that and how this all works. And he's like, just you find a figure out web host that you want. I can build the site. We'll load it on the web host and we're gone. And I was like, okay. And so I started making a list of what I wanted, um, not knowing really anything about any of this. And then Mike would help. He's like, well, you're going to probably want to like phone them for tech support. And I said, yeah. And you probably want to pay Canadian dollars for it. I said, yeah. And like maybe 24 seven tech support is like, oh, good point. So I made this whole list of what I would, I thought I would need from a web hosting company. I didn't want to sign an annual contract. I wanted toll free numbers to phone. When I phoned them, I wanted them to speak English and not meaning like another language. I mean, not speak way over my head and like, oh, just do this technically and me not knowing what they're talking about. So I wanted someone who was you know friendly enough to help um, a non-tech enabled person get a get a sort of rudimentary website going. And long story short was I could not find a web host that checked all the boxes. And so I went back to Mike and I was like, there's nothing here. There's nobody available to do this. It's not a thing. Either you find parts of it, but there's no toll-free number to phone them, but it's cheap and they'll take Canadian dollars and it's monthly or whatever, but, or you find them, they do the, the toll-free numbers and the support, but it's very expensive. And that conversation of, of like me pushing back on Mike is like, why can't I just do this myself? Or why don't, there's gotta be a billion of me out there of these people trying to figure out how do you get a website on the internet back in 2000. And maybe there's an opportunity for us to create a web host that, that caters to like, to me, this type of entrepreneur want, like wants to do a sort of whatever normal <laughs> offline business, but also needs an online presence. And that is how we eventually started is we decided, yeah, there's actually probably an opportunity here. And so we got into the web hosting business and we kind of divided it by, I kind of dealt with the front, the sort of the sales and marketing piece. And Mike dealt with the back while educating me so I could answer questions to people. Or if, you know, if there was a tech enabled person as a potential customer, I could respond and answer the questions. And that's how we figured out how to start working together. And we were able to build a successful web hosting company focusing on, you know, Canadian American small business owners that, that needed very tech-friendly tech support. Um, I lived at home at my parents' house at the time. He lived in the basement of his parents' house at the time. We were running 24-7 customer service. So if you phoned at like 2.30 in the morning, you'd get me on the phone. And my mom and dad, I remember them thinking I was crazy because I'd sleep with my lights on, computer there phone would ring. I'd start talking to myself. Cause you know, when you answer the phone, if you're sleeping, whoever is on the other end can tell you're obviously sleeping or you were just <laughs> asleep. And so I'd start talking to myself to get my voice normal. And then I'd say, you know, combustion hosting, Steve speaking. And then whatever their question was, they're calling me at two in the morning. I probably could not answer. Cause it was like, it was something they wouldn't wait till the morning. And that's where I'd, Oh, let me take down your details and I'll get tech support to get in touch with you. Tech support is Mike. And so Mike would be at his place and he'd wake up in the morning and I'd have the details of like, you're going to have to sort that out. It was not a sales call. It was a tech support call. And that's, that's kind of how this whole thing, whole thing began um, was, yeah, you know, bedrooms in our 
our parents' houses. Our, our first employee back in the day <laughs> worked in my parents' house. Um, so, but okay, this is, I love these stories, right? These are so great. And, uh, but tell me a little bit about, uh, cause I got lots of places I want to go with this conversation uh, if we have time, but tell me a little bit about the entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, it sounds like you came out of the shoot that way. How is it that, you know, when you look at what's happening in the world overall, you know, it's like the gig economy and everybody's got a gig and everybody's, but the reality of it is, is statistically, and this came from, I think, Ray Dalio, is less than 4% of our working population is actually designed or equipped to be an entrepreneur. Lots of people think they can be entrepreneurs or should be, or that's what they want to do, but it's not a, it's actually not a normal thing. And we, as entrepreneurs, we think it's pretty normal, but the reality of it is apparently statistically it's not. So for you, where did you get your entrepreneurial spirit from? Was it your parents, both entrepreneurs, uncles? What, what was it for you? I think my parents, my mom would be considered, um, I don't know, much more kind of entrepreneurial. And so I've got three brothers. So the four of us were always doing things as kids to find ways to make money. Like we lived in Calgary as kids. It was very common in the winters. We'd be shoveling walks. My, my older brother and I would be banging on doors, you know, making the deal. Two younger brothers would be doing the work, the employees back there. And so we, we did that kind of stuff with sort of, you know, things like that, the raking leaves, mowing lawns, sure. you know? And so my, we, we, that's kind of how we were, we were raised. And then um, when I, I coming out of school, I was not super interested in university. Um, it just wasn't my thing. I was not, I didn't, I had no desire to go. And that's why when I found that venture program at BCIT, I was like, this is cool. It's for entrepreneurs. It's you come in with an idea, you come up with a business plan. It'll help plug in some of the things I didn't know or lots of the things I didn't know. But I just didn't, I didn't have any desire to go to four years of university. I wanted to figure out how to make money. I wanted to figure out how to, how to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And then, and Mike, Mike was, Mike was similar. He was always entrepreneurial on his side. And so that's kind of how we, we did it. My older brother is my, my, all my brothers are entrepreneurs um, and are entrepreneurial, I'd say. And my, my, like my older brother definitely paved the way for me. I'm second oldest, but like when I started combustion hosting with Mike, but in, in my bedroom, I had to just turn on the second line and turn on the fax line that was already in the bedroom because my older brother had started his company out of that same bedroom. So when he had moved out and moved his company and got an office, all those things were turned off. But when, when I wanted to, to get going again, the, the kind of the base infrastructure was there. The second line was already wired into the house. We just had, I just had to pay the bill again to turn it back on. And so it was just, you know, you're, you're around these types of people and, entrepreneurial people, you know, you just, well, I think it, what is interesting, you know, it's what, what is interesting, you know, I, I kind of brought up on the wrong side of the tracks and, you know, four kids and, you know, mom and dad were, uh, you know, if there wasn't a lot of extra money to go around, but you know, if I was looking to buy something, if I had a, you know, I, I want to buy a this or a that, you know, my parent parents were always, you know, we'll pay for, you know, we can pay for half of it, but you got to go figure out how to make the other half of the money. Right. So to your point, I'm walking down the street, snow shovel in hand and, 
you know, knocking on doors or mowing lawns or whatever I'm doing to actually make money. And it's interesting that in talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, there is a, there's some version of those stories that always crop up, you know, that as kids, they had to go figure out how to make their own money and they were not, you know, my dad, you know, said, okay, you can use the shovel, but at some point you're either going to have to buy your own or, and his joke was, or I'll put it on my rental fleet. And, you know, then I could, you know, pay him for the shovel. And these were all things that I think kind of, uh, it, at the time it seems, you know, maybe like your, your parents are being a little tough on you perhaps, or they should be giving you things, but really it is part of a growth and a shift of mindset about how you actually exist in this world. Now, I want to go back to your, you know, partnership with Mike. You know, I've had partners. I've never had a partnership that lasted 22 years. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to have conversation with you, you know, certainly over the past year or so far more often than I have with Mike. But I mean, you both are really cool guys. You're good guys. Mike is, he just energetically is, you know, you're, I find that the minute you talk to Mike, you like him. He's just that kind of energy. But how have you, what have you learned uh, 22 years of being a partner, you know, how did, how come and what have you learned along the way? Yeah, so I've learned a lot. I think um, Mike and I have learned how to deal with each other. Some people say we sometimes we fight like brothers, but I think the best the best lesson I I would take away from this whole thing is I think we're reasonably good at communication, and I think that's one of the main reasons why we've been able to do or stay and work together for this long is that we're open and honest and we're willing to have those hard conversations or say what's bothering you or what's on your mind and not like bury it down. And like, uh, and then you like, you get mad for six months because you never said that you're mad about it. Operate on top of it. Yeah. Operate on top of those stories. Yeah. 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 And so we're, we're good at having those hard conversations and just being open and honest with each other. And I think that has, has been very helpful in, um, in us progressing to where we're at, where we're at today. Plus, you know, like learning about what his skill sets are, what he's good at, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. And a lot of these things are aligned well, where he's great at something that I, I hate or vice versa. And if I think it works, it works really well. Works. We, yeah. We we're, you know, we work pretty well together. I like the term fight. I, I like the term fights like brothers. You know, somebody says, you know, you fight like brothers and, and I mean, those are, are, those are good, healthy ways of being in any relationship. I, I don't care if it's with your significant other, you know, Stephanie and I, you know, we were both strong personalities, my wife, and we go toe to toe, but it's like, it's never personal. It's never, never meant to belittle. It's just a really healthy uh, conversation. And sometimes it gets pretty elevated in the volume and it's the disagreement level, but we always come back to center always 100% of the time, because we also know where that's coming from. And I think that's healthy in a business relationship by the sounds of it with you and Mike as well. Yeah. Like most, most days of the week, I'm, he's the first person I talk to in the morning and probably the last, right? Right. We're both early risers. And yeah, there's many times where I'm up and we're on the phone, I'm walking the dock and it's like, 5 30 in the morning um or at the end of the night we're like powering down or whatever and dealing with whatever we're dealing with and and so there's like we're pretty good at that and where i say there's a lot of stuff where we can like i can tell and i think mike would say the same if we're sitting in the same meeting together and someone asks us a question i can tell who's going to speak like who's we can look at each other and know who's going to speak without saying anything right um it's like we just we've just been doing this for long enough that we understand 
and conceive certain mannerisms to know like, oh, he's sure. going to, he's going to take, take that question. Yeah. So when you, when you look at how I go back to, you know, I talked to you a little bit about Addy and mission and knowing a bit about you and Mike and there is a certain altruistic mission and vision that you have for your business in terms of the contribution you are, to your point earlier, uh, to community, to individuals. Uh, I get a sense of it even that in your, you know, in your development of your web business that you're kind of going, no, there's got to be somebody out there that can look after small business entrepreneurial type that aren't tech people. They're really good salespeople and they're good at product development, but they don't know tech. Somebody's got to look after these people too. So there's a, a part of it where it seems that by your nature, you kind of want to create that environment or that altruistic kind of goal. Is that, am I saying it right? Am I, am I on point here or am I a little bit off? No, I think like for, for it's very much true. I think for Addy, like what we're, we're seeing is that, you know, it's, it's, there's be growing a bigger divide every day between the have and the have nots government prints money, money becomes worth less assets become worth more. If you've got assets, you're like, Oh, okay. If you don't, it just looks like everything is, is just getting away from you. And we think that there's, there's a way to do like to use technology to help everybody participate. And uh, in our case, from a property point of view, a real estate point of view, to be on that sort of that property ownership and have be a part of ownership society and, um, and sort of have that feeling of, of pride and feeling of ownership that people, that people have when they do own a you know, specific asset or asset type. And so, yeah, that's like, that's what we're trying to do is enable anybody, regardless of, you know, race, age, background, location, to be able to, to, to get in on, on the, these opportunities instead of it being, you know, generally restricted to wealthy people. And in many cases, it's wealthy men in the real estate world. It's a, there's a, just a, we see, I see it all the time. There's lots of, lots of just guys that have the money that are cutting the checks. Well, this is, but what's interesting about this and, and, and where I picked up on it, I picked up on it in the past, but I mean, even the story of Addy, you know, so you look at that coworker or employee, whatever he was, uh, she was, you know, saying, so what I got 10 grand, I can't get in, you know, it's the old story, rich, get richer. All of a sudden you guys, just cause you got money, you get, and I don't get to participate. 99.9% of the people would look at that young person and go, yeah, that's right. But you and Mike said, well, hold it. What can we do to change that? And I don't think it was coming from a monetary opportunity in terms of how can we make money, you know, figuring this out. I mean, I think it eventually got to that. But the point was, is it, it actually was a, a line that got drawn that you said, you know something, there has got to be something here that we can help others that aren't in the position who aren't maybe as privileged as we are or haven't had the breaks that we've had or whatever your kind of context or story behind it. And I mean, that's right there is a statement of, I think, of character and of what drives certain businesses in a kind of a more profound way. And I, 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 just, I don't know, that's what I kind of picked up on there, Steve. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's true. And I, I, part of me, I think when I started buying real estate, I was, you know, 20, 20 years ago, something like that. It worked like I, you could buy a rental condo or something, put a little bit of money down, uh, like a reasonable amount of money for a 20 year old. If you've been saving a little bit and the rent would cover the mortgage and the strata and the insurance and like maybe not a lot of cash flow, but it would, it would work. 
you could do it. Today, that same 20-year-old, that it just doesn't, it doesn't work. You can't, like a starter condo downtown Vancouver is 500 grand or whatever it is. And the rents don't make any sense unless you're putting down $200,000. And it's like, if you're 20, where are you getting $200,000 from to make the math work on? And so it's even to try and get started in the way that I got started, I, I think it's without parental help or you've got some, you're an entrepreneur or you've got some special type of job, your regular person just, how do you even get in on the ground level to start your, 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 the process to be able to participate in the asset class? Because everything is just, everything has changed. It's, it's different now. And so that's what, that's what we're trying to do is like, is enable those, those young people today to be able to get in and just in a different way, but into that asset class. Now I'm going to go back again, a little bit of background. When you started investing in real estate as a young man, even that is not many 20 year olds, even back then. And, and you're still young. I mean, it's not like you're an old guy. What drove that real estate? Where did you get that kind of real estate makes sense? And I need to invest in real estate or I need to buy real estate. Again, where did you know, that I, come from? Yeah, I read I read that book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh gosh, that um, is a, that is that is an epic <laughs> book, is it not? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but it was it was a really easy read. It made a lot of sense, and it just talked about like what is an asset and what is not an asset, and how to use assets to buy you know the things that you want in life. And it just I found it to be a really easy story to understand as a young person. And it, that's what motivated me. I was like, cool, I'm going to figure out how to buy an investment condo. I bought it. I bought an investment condo downtown Vancouver. I get that I, I come from a, you know, a place of privilege. I was living at home with my parents at the time and I was working. And so I had a little bit of money to make it work. I remember telling my parents that I'm buying a condo downtown and my dad was like, nice. Good for you, you know. And I was like, I'm not. This is. I'm not moving out. Like this is. This is an investment. <laughs> Hold this is an investment. Not understanding. Yeah. No, you still got me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I stayed. I stayed home, and like I. That's a total place of privilege to be able to have that opportunity to do that. I get that very much. But that's where it came. Like for me, it was like I would. Mike and I were like we'd read that book, and we were playing the. the uh, What's his name? Kiyosaki. He had like a cash flow quadrant, yeah, like, like a, a board yeah, game, yeah, board like game. Monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's like a game you could play. And it just like, I don't know, I just got really interested in it and started thinking about how could I, how could I do this? And I, and I bought this little condo downtown, not knowing how, how do you be a landlord? What does it work? What goes on? How does this work? How does that work? Uh, I like very, barely scraped together enough to put the bare minimum down to, to buy it. And I remember being afraid, very afraid of the whole concept. But I, at the time, I figured, well, I'm young enough. If I've made a mistake or screwed this up, like I, I can, I can figure it out or bounce back or whatever. Like it's now is the time to take the risk because I was young and I could, I could, you know, if it was the worst idea ever, I figured I could bounce back from it. I had time to figure it out. So you're a family of brothers, I think, is what I heard. And yes. you know, what role did your parents play in this? You know, Steve, you know, was, you know, you tell your dad, hey, dad, I bought a condo and no, I'm not moving out. Uh, are your parents along the way? Are they going, you know, uh, good for you and uh, we're behind this? Are they saying maybe be a little bit cautious? What, what kind of guidance are you getting from your parents back then? Because 
they've they've had to have had some influence. Obviously, they were very supportive of you, you know, your family, uh, given that they're saying, yeah, no, you can stay at home, whatever the deal was. But the point is, is what what kind of guidance were you getting? Yeah, I think that they're, they're very supportive people. I think that's how my brothers and I have all done our thing. But um, yeah, I don't like the my my parents were aware of what I was doing. They were you know generally supportive but that's a very of the, okay of the but idea. That, that's a very independent decision to be making at 20 years old living at home or not so you know you're you're kind of marching to the beat of your own drum and so i'm i'm wondering in behind that many parents even today we see it we hear it all the time within the real estate investment network many parents are shutting down their 35 and 40 year old kids going no that's a dumb idea getting into real estate but you know, at that point, you'd already made the decision by the sounds of it. You weren't going to dad saying, dad, should I buy this condo? That's a pretty independent way of thinking. And, and, but in behind it, are your parents just kind of going, yeah, keep doing it. Go, go. What, like, what's, what's the philosophy? I mean, there's got to be some lessons here to share with our listeners about, you know, cause I got parents that listen to this show. I mean, what do they, what can they take away from what your experience was as a kid growing up? I think my parents were pretty supportive. I think if I had asked them, like, what do you think? Should I do this? Like, maybe they they would say, well, I don't know. Or like, you know, they they didn't do that kind of stuff. They didn't buy investment uh, property. It wasn't something that they had really done. But I think they were like, kind of cautiously supportive. I know they're very supportive. Like they, they, they definitely um, helped figure it out. But it wasn't them pushing me to do it. I think for sure they're more cautiously supportive of, of the idea around um, hoping it was a good decision, hoping it was the right move. You know, for you know what, what's going on in the real estate market, mortgages, like all, all of those things. And I think they're, you know, with every business I've ever had or tried, they're very supportive. They don't. They don't try and get into it. They've never really gotten into like this is a dumb idea or don't waste your money. They just they're they're supportive people and they they kind of do what they can to be to be uh, supportive of each crazy idea. Like remember in 2012, I told my my wife. I talked to her and I had, we had a two year old and like a four month old. I was like, I think we should move to the Philippines. And then I like told that to my parents. <laughs> so like what? <laughs> Um, so was my wife as well. She's okay. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so we can't step over this story. You know, it's hilarious. You know, there's a, you know, you know, you've got that true entrepreneurial spirit. And anyways, I, I, I'll go there maybe in a minute. What the hell were you doing in the Philippines? What, you wake up one day and go, we're moving to the Philippines? I, I'm thinking not. What was behind the move to the Philippines? You just wanted to live somewhere tropical, business opportunity. What was it? No, so we had um, we had a bit of a outsourcing operation there already that that Mike and I had put together in 2008, and then we decided that we were going to get into the payroll software for the Philippines because there wasn't really much of an option back then. And Mike was the one who had, he came pushing, saying, "I think, like, I think, I think we need to move to the Philippines." <laughs> And we had this like very awkward conversation because it was for full him driving the idea because I hadn't considered it. And I said, okay, like, I think I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> I'm like married with kids here. Uh, so, I, and I, I said, yeah, I mean, like, let's, let's, I'm not against the idea. And then I went and chatted with my wife and I don't know, two-ish weeks or a few weeks later, we, we moved. 
and we we moved over into Fort Bonifacio and you know in Metro Manila. And how how long are you how long were you uh, in Manila for? About uh, two and a half years, and then we moved over to Singapore for almost two. So this brings up, of course, to me an obvious question, which is, you know, how important is a supportive, in your case, wife, a supportive spouse in all of this? I mean, uh, that's a big step, you know, with two young children. Yeah, totally. I think, like, my spouse and Mike's spouse are very supportive of some of this craziness, for sure. And, like, when I chatted with my wife about it. She was not excited. She was very upset about the idea. She's literally on maternity leave. And if you Googled things like moving to the Philippines, then it didn't like, it didn't, it didn't look very good. Like then the news didn't look very lovely. Like it's, there was all these weird stories going on. And so you had to, and we didn't know that much about it. So it's like, the only thing you can do is kind of Google it or ask anecdotal stories and you hear stuff and but either way, we went, and it was unbelievable. The Philippines is an unbelievable place, 7,107 islands. It's beautiful. The people are lovely. The water, the, the sandy beaches, the, even the, the big cities, it's, all, it's, it's an amazing place. And it was a really great adventure. And I think if you would ask, my, my wife used to work in the, in the hospital world and, you know, kind of a traditional job. She went to university for it, and she had this, you know, hospital-type world that she worked in. When she was on maternity leave, we moved over to the Philippines couldn't work over there, didn't have the right visa, all that kind of stuff. But she's super, super handy. She can, she can sew all the tools in our house. If you go into our garage full of tools, it's not mine. I don't know how they work. It's like her skill saw and her this and her that and whatever. And she started making, she made like a, a play tent for our children to play in of like fabric. And then sent a, you know, put a photo on the internet. Somebody saw it and, and wanted to buy one or where she got it. She said, I made it. So she made another one. Then she made another one. And she's basically fast forward. She's come home back to Canada with her own business that produces and sells thousands of these things a month that are like playhouses, play tents, teepees, kids, you know, fake felt campfires, all this cool stuff. So, so the end result for her from that sort of being pulled out of the norm of, of her normal world or what she thought like her path was and being upset about this crazy idea. And then the end result now, if you were to ask her, she's like, thank God, it's the best thing ever. Like came out as an entrepreneur, has her own business, learned all these things. And it was just sort of that coming out of your comfort zone that kind of produced this. If we hadn't have gone, that we'd be living a different, we'd be living a different life. She'd be probably back in that same role, moving her way up through the hospital world or the healthcare world. And it was just like this, like she even said, she's like, I didn't, I didn't know I had an entrepreneur in me. Like, and now she's, she's running this, this thing. It's, it's, it's awesome business. These little, uh, these little forks in the road. I mean, do you think that you're, uh, and these weren't, that wasn't a little fork in the road. That was a pretty big fork in the road by the sounds of it. Uh, given what, you know, your wife came back with and came, what came out of it with your wife. Now, what drives you behind all of this? Do you have this big kind of, unsatiable need for adventure what is it about you that kind of keeps you working through this or or is it just i love business i love business opportunity i love that contribution component of it what what gets you out of bed in the morning that lights you up that takes you on these various journeys and on in these entrepreneurial journeys what is it that lights you up in that regard steve yeah like i i, I like the idea of the adventure of it all for sure there's no question 
it's like the kind of the unknown of like what's gonna where you're going it's not the traditional path for sure and i love i like i like that for for addy i think like this is the first time we've had a, a business where i think we're like we're really on to something each all of our past businesses like b2b software and it's like people are like great thanks cool product like i'll pay the bill and i like it and whatever but with Addy, like we get amazing messages every day from people that are like, you know, so excited and so proud to own a piece of this whatever building. And it just, it's more of, of a, it's like more of a life changing thing than I've ever experienced before with, with this type of a, this type of a business, like the community, the Addy community is unbelievable. We've got this discord server set up where our community can get in there and they chat with each other. There's thousands of them in there and they can talk about each property as its own channel. And they're, they, they share photos of the, the buildings if they drive by them or if they go through the Starbucks drive through, or if they've gone out of town to another city, they'll go visit and drive by the property. We've got one member here in Vancouver who drives a taxi cab for a living. He'll only invest in properties that he can drive to and i've we I talked to him on zoom a few weeks ago and he's got a bunch in alberta because he's driven there to go to go see them he's got some on the island like it's just and so we get these like great great stories about people being really proud and it's more than their 350 and fifty investment you know on average into these properties it's just they're getting they're getting so much more out of it and it's like it's very heartwarming to see and and hear about and it very much motivates me for sure. And I know it motivates the team to keep moving forward and doing what we're doing. Like it's, it's, um, it's lovely. So tell me a little bit, and that's great. I mean, I get that totally within the real estate investment network, the communities have been that way for many, many years. And, and we're pretty blessed in terms of being a contribution and some of the stories and the feedback we get back. But, and I get all of that and, and it's, it's, Fantastic. So the question, I guess, was I'm listening to all this, Steve, is that you've got this sense of adventure, you've got this entrepreneurial spirit, you're taking on that adventure, you're going forward with these things. How are you handling, you know, number one, you know, we haven't talked about the leadership that's required. We haven't talked about the challenges that you face. We haven't talked about perhaps some of the fear that you might feel like, how do you deal? What's your mindset around all of that? You know, do you study leadership? Is it something that you are really conscious of when it comes to addressing and looking at what might show up that you're fearful of, or 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 are you always just really confident that whatever comes up, I'm 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 good with whatever comes my way because I know I'll handle it. Like, what's your view of the world in in that aspect? Because you probably no different than me. I, I mean, we deal with business owners and entrepreneurs and real estate investors. And if there's one thing, you know, that always shows up is, you know, it's fear of failure or it's just fear of making a mistake. How do you deal with all that? Well, I think it's a good question. I, I, I very much rely on my wife to, to help sort of manage some of that, those fears or stress points or whatever, or, concern, you know, just, you know, there's, entrepreneurial concerns of just this good idea, bad ideas, it's nuts. And she's, she's very helpful on, on sort of working through those things. I think also Mike is amazing. At, like, like I said, sometimes there's things that totally, I'm like, wow, this is, I don't know what we're going to do and how we're going to get through it. And I'll chat with Mike and Mike's like, no, 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 this is going to be great. We're going to do this, this, and this. It's like, oh, okay. Like, 
you know, but I was all spun up in my mind of like something was going to be hard or a problem or whatever. And so that yin and yang of Mike and I, I think works really, really well of just being able to bounce concerns or ideas or solve problems or talk things through. And then I've got uh, Mike as well. We, we're part of the entrepreneurs organization. So we've got our own EO forums, which is a, you know, you get a, a small group of people, you know, five to eight people that you meet with every month and talk through your concerns, your challenges, your whatever in a confidential format. And so I've got my form. He's got his form. It works kind of like your personal board of directors, kind of. And then I think we've built an amazing board of directors, the, the, the board of directors that we've got at Addy, Jeff Booth, our, our third co-founder and chairman of the board is they're very, very helpful in us navigating all of these things because a lot of what we're doing hasn't really been done before. And so just, just working through those specific questions, challenges through either through EO, through the board, through my wife, through Mike, my brothers, my parents, like there's, I've got, uh, you know, I tr try and surround myself with, with the, the right people to be able to help navigate some of this, some of the unknowns of entrepreneurship definitely doesn't stop me from getting gray hair. Apparently, um, <laughs> yeah, you and me both. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, that's, that's the, I, that's the idea. Like I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of EO. I think people, if you're an entrepreneur, you should look at it. I've been um, EO Vancouver member, EO San Francisco member, EO Philippines member, and now back I'm EO Vancouver member. It's a powerful organization. There's EO chapters almost everywhere. Um, whenever I've gone into some random city for some conference or trip or whatever, I'll reach out to the EO president at the time and say, hey, I'm coming to town for whatever. Is there like an event going on or something? And sometimes I'll end up at some EO. I did it in Atlanta. I ended up at it. EO Atlanta event that they were doing and they just said yeah of course you're welcome you just and then all of a sudden you've got like a hundred people that you don't know anything but they're because they're EO they're just accepting of you and they 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 fold you right into their world real quick so it's really great um organization for oh I'm trying you know I'm trying to buy a business I've never bought a business before and you could go to EO people and they should share their experience of well when I bought a business I did this well I did this poorly or um, I'm trying to expand from the Philippines into Singapore. And then you, they go, oh, go talk to these Singaporean business owners and they'll help you with the, the, the rules or whatever of Singapore. And it's a, a really great organization to be able to bounce ideas and get support, and that kind of stuff for the entrepreneurship journey because it's generally pretty lonely for most people. It is a lonely journey for sure. And you do have to, you know, that's been my experience as well. And you have to go out of your way. I'm not part of EO, but I've been part of other organizations over the years and surrounding yourself with, you know, that level of support. If nothing, if they don't even have the answers, at least they've got the listening for whatever you might be bumping up against. And, uh, you know, I guess worst case is they got some sympathy, but generally they got some ideas and some thought processes that will spark different ideas. And, and I think that's just healthy all the time. When you look at, you know, where you're going and what you've accomplished, you know, a question that I'm kind of formulating, Steve, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question anyways, but how do you define success for yourself? For myself? Um, wow. I know it's a tough question, isn't it? It's a tough question. Yeah. I know. I, well, I, I, I did, I'm not meaning to catch you off guard, but it's a, it's a question that I've recently been considering myself. Now, I've come to an answer for myself, but it took actually asking the question very specifically. And there's another part of it that I would add to it. This is something Stephanie and I have been talking about just recently on our Mindset Matters podcast, which was if you take money out of the equation, if, the, if success can't be I have a million bucks in the bank or 10 million or a billion – how do you define success? 
Yeah, that's why I figured when you said for myself, I feel like, oh, for the business, it's X or it's Y or it's this. But I like when I think about success for myself, it's more around I want to have like a happy family, like productive children, you know, that they're happy, that my wife and I are happy and that like there's things, there's money, there's all these things that can make that like that, you know. But I think if I've got I've got two kids and if they are productive members of society and happy people and whatever they're trying to do, I feel like Sarah and I have been successful at the, the game of life. I don't know. That's kind of the way I think about it. I just, I, I don't, you know, yeah. I know it's, 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 <laughs> it's a, a big it's, question. It, it's, it, it is, it's a thought provoking question. And, yeah. uh, and it, it came to me as I was listening to a couple of other podcasts and I realized that, Sometimes we work backwards from an outcome called, you know, build a business to X, you know, as entrepreneurs, we often do that, or we work back, you know, run a triathlon, whatever that might be. But the point is, is that do we ever stop to think about how do we really define success, what it would be? You know, we have to look at different aspects of our life and lifestyle. And I know it changes as we go through the different phases of life. You know, every time it seems somebody hits a zero, I know it is for me. It's like you, you, my observation of, you know, when you're 30, 40, 50, those are kind of phases in life. They're, they're bits of milestones. It's not a, you know, written in stone that way, but you know, it really is, you know, if, I believe that if we get clear on how we're going to define success, at least I believe it today, is that if we are starting to really get clear on how we're going to define and and not even measure, perhaps measure, you have to measure it to define it, I guess, then we're working backwards from that. No, it's good. I think it's a good question. It's a big question. And I think that, I don't know, like we, we used to talk about this all the time with our kids around what is what is home. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like it's a big thing, like success where we would always tell our kids home is where, where we are. Like, it's like, if, if home tonight is on this airplane, cause that's where we're flying. Like there, this is home. Like this is weird. Like if it's in our Manila condo, if it's at home in Vancouver, if it's whatever, it's just like where me, the wife and the kids are is like, that's, that's home. Well, that goes back to that goes back to the you know the the statement you know home is where the heart is and when you're with mm-hmm. your with your when you're with your significant other and your children I mean definitely that's where your heart is going to be and that's wherever they are right yes so it's kind of yeah. cool yeah I, okay so we got a little bit philosophical there which I have a tendency to do but that's where I'm at today so as we wind things down I want to say you know number one I know that you're you know, taking some time out of a meeting with your team to be part of the podcast. So we'll wind things down. And, uh, you know, I come up with a few, what I call rapid fire questions that are rarely rapid fire, but I ask them anyways. And uh, you ready to take off? Do that? Uh, let's yes, let's yeah. go. Okay. <laughs> do you have a favorite book other than, other than Rich Dad, Poor Dad? What's a favorite book that you like to read and or that you gift? That I gift? God, I already gave you my like starting one for real estate. Your go-to. Um, the one we talk about a lot at uh, work these days is Radical Candor. Can't remember the author's name. Him something, but it's about it's about open and honest conversation and and like how you structure open and honest conversation and how you say it from a place of like trying to be helpful. It's a, it's a it's a really good book. It's good cool. for feedback very, and very good i think i know the answer to this question but in case i don't iphone or android iphone yeah. never used an android yeah. 
my hands have never touched an Android. I did. I went from a flip okay. phone to the first iPhone. I've just, I don't know. I've never really used one. Okay. That's funny. Uh, favorite inspirational quote. Do you have one? Favorite inspirational quote. I don't know. I, the only one I keep thinking about is like my brother did. It was like, use all the Buffalo. <laughs> I don't even know who, who it's from, but it's like using all the pieces and, and making best use of whatever it is that you're working on. Fantastic. But I'd have to get back to you on my version. Okay, well, think about it. What's your favorite swear word? Uh, my favorite? The, the one I might use a little too much. Probably the, uh, the F-bomb. Yeah, everybody's an F-bomber. The, I shouldn't say that. I, you know, I, I often joke is I get guests on the uh, show and I go, what's your favorite swear word? Swear word? And they go, I, no, I don't swear. I go, what? Yeah. How do you express <laughs> <a> yourself? <laughs> <laughs> okay, favorite tune or band? Do you have one? I'm not a huge music person, but I love the Tragically Hip. But oh. like, if you ask me to like sing a song or what's my favorite song, I don't know. Like I, but I like the Tragically Hip. I, I don't know. It's weird. My my older brother's big into music, and he's always like, "Oh, listen to this, listen to this part." And I'm like, I just I don't hear the lyrics. Like I don't hear. And he's like, "Oh, it's a funny story." It's, it's like I just don't. That's yeah, not how my you brain and me works. both. I'll I'll be literally having a conversation with somebody, and they'll go, "Hold it, listen." Listen to yeah. this tune, such a great tune. And I go, I wasn't even aware there was music. So you know, yeah. I'm, I'm more that guy. That's how my brain is, yeah. Yeah. Your room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? My room, my desk, or my car, my room. I don't have a car. Oh, you don't have a car? Well, my, my wife does. I get around an Evo or a walk or a bike. <laughs> oh, Vancouverite. True, true Vancouverite. That's awesome. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? welcome <laughs> yeah i don't know nice to have you here well, exists yeah nice to nice to have you here welcome <laughs> like here's your here's your whole extended sorry, family like <laughs> sorry if you got a pass you're not allowed <laughs> yeah yeah do you have a self-care routine are you a workout guy are you a meditator what do you do how do you how do you look after yourself I should do more of the workout stuff for sure. Um, I think for, for me, I try and walk is the easiest way I can get things done is I'll try and walk to listen to podcasts and, and walk to the office or walk the dog in the morning or take phone calls on a walk. And cause otherwise it's really easy to just go, you know, sit at the desk all day, go home, have dinner, put kids to bed, go to sleep, wake up and just do the whole thing. So yeah. I find if I, Ram walking into my day, it's it works it's helpful. a little bit. Very good. Yeah. Final question: What are you grateful for, Steve? What am I grateful for? Um, it's not life. a trick. It's not a trick my question, time. Steve. It's <laughs> not a trick question. <laughs> yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Grateful to be alive. Grateful to be healthy. Grateful to be, you know, have a great family. Grateful for lots of things. Yeah, awesome. And we, you know. It's always healthy to uh, focus on what we're grateful for. And today I'm really grateful to have had uh, the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better, have you join me on the show. Like you, I'm always grateful for my health, my family, and being surrounded by some amazing people. So, Steve, thanks for joining me as a guest on the Everyday Millionaire Podcast and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.